When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome, Holly. We're back with Leslie Kogan Gold. I'm so excited. I'm so excited we had so much to talk about. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Leslie Kogan Gold. We're going to learn a lot more about Andrew Gold, so let's get started right now. I mean, your job is to keep Andrew Gold's name out there and to keep his music alive. Right. And so, I mean, what was this learning curve like? First of all, you know, it's you've lost someone that you've, it's just a, a horrible loss. And then right. all of a sudden you you know, whatever, when you come out of it, you know, suddenly like, how'd you learn all about uh, what needs to be done? And well, first, I think anyone who inherits a legacy like this, I feel it's a responsibility to keep the art alive because the art lives on and it's somebody's 50 years of work. So to me, that's the first thing I looked at. And yes, and the music business is ridiculously complicated. So you, you just kind of have to go and learn things one at a time. So I had to learn you know, what publishing was and how that works. And then figure, once I knew that, figure out what I owned, what, you know, find all the co-writers. Because if you're going to you, you know, put the music out or place it in, in TV or commercials, you need to know where the other writer is. So I had to do a lot of work in that regard. Also, he was a producer, so I had to find all the contracts and figure out what was going on with that. So he had these different hats. He was a performer, so there's artists, things you have to learn. So I had to figure out which labels he was on and start developing relationships with labels like Warner Brothers. And he has a Halloween album on Concord, and he had albums on Sony. So I had to figure out the artist royalties part of it and how to work with labels, too. Um, so yeah, this, the learning curve is incredible. And now with social media, you have to, I sort of understand how that works. What, what, how did, you know, what sound exchanges, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, performance you know, royalties and all that. It, it, so it took a long time and I still am learning as I go, but I, and now what I do to give back, because it was such a long journey. If I meet somebody who inherits a catalog, another woman, it's usually women, I try to help them. Because I know the important things to know first, because I wish somebody would have helped me that way. So I like to give back and help other people because it is indeed extraordinarily overwhelming. Yeah. That's huge. That's a really, that's a, that's a mitzvah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, and it makes me happy to do that. And other people will say, well, why don't you charge them? I'm like, no. It's, <laughs> oh. you know, it's my gift to the universe. Is this the first Andrew Gold production that you're putting out? We we released one live show before okay. and I've been releasing singles. I released a, one of my more inspired ideas. I made thank you for being a friend into a Christmas song. So I released that. So I'm starting to like release singles here and there. I released a, a Brindle song that was just Andrew doing the vocals, which is one of the things I found mm. when I was doing the archiving and it's called Savannah. It's just gorgeous. So I released that. Um, as a single. The sunlight came to the Spanish moss, made diamonds in your 
I held my breath, but I knew at once I didn't have a prayer. Silk and blue-eyed angel, please come down. I had to say, just like a dream, you turned and looked my way. You know, at first you think it's all so precious and you want to do it at the, the exact right time. Right. Then you realize, no, no, you, you have to get the music out there. So you go through these, you know, different emotions about it that you have to let go of. So this is the first release like this of, you know, a treasure trove of things that um, were not released before. Because a live show was li- wasn't released, but those songs people knew. So I'm, I was thrilled about this one because these are some of my favorite songs that I found going through this process. And we were also ecstatic when Brad and I, he's the other producer from Mom Vore, found it on tape, on two-track two tape, because that's the best quality. So we transferred that. Turn around, turn around, tell me, what do you see? And then I have a box set coming out from Cherry Red, and they did a live Wax show. Wax was his project in the 80s with Graham Goldman of 10CC. He actually got asked to join 10CC, and he couldn't do it. He regretted that, though, because he loved 10CC. But he did produce and write with them, and then he went on to work with Graham. So um, a live show was released by Cherry Red out of Europe, and they're going to do a big box set later this year. How did you decide or how did you even go about releasing them? The the songs that you have released, the singles? I did the singles on my own. I mean I work with like Warner, I work with they did, you know, to get them to release things, but they own the master. So you just have to sort of do things in tandem with them. But the Savannah I released on my own. It actually did quite well and and which thrilled me. Uh, because the main goal is to get people to hear the music, and, and it did quite well. And the Christmas one I released myself. I mean, I, I, I manage the artist pages on Spotify and Apple. Okay. So I can submit to curators on my own. See, geek, here I'm a geek. And so I've done a lot of work, you know, going all over the Internet, making sure that those profiles are updated and that I do control them. I'll share them with labels if they want to, like Concord, who did the Halloween album and i have to talk about that because there's a song on that that's viral every kid knows andrew gold because of spooky scary skeletons Mm -hmm. (laughs) so great yeah and it it went mad on tiktok which made me very happy so that concord has worked with me a lot on that and we released the remix this year fortunately at the same time the tiktok thing went nuts because it's a particular remix that's Mm -hmm. very popular 
Yes. So, so they help me a lot with, with, you know, things, you know, so that, yeah, it, it's probably the only song they have in their entire catalog like that. Spooky, scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul, seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. Go back to the TikTok thing. How did that come about? I mean, I'm, I'm curious about yeah. there's a particular dance that everyone's doing. I looked on YouTube and there's like I, there's a compilation of about 25 different versions of, uh, of kids doing doing this uh, <laughs> spooky, scary skeletons dance. There's millions of them, actually. <laughs> Uh, on TikTok, you can go crazy. I right. I'm not. Yeah, I just went on the YouTube. The best of. I I couldn't go through the millions. <laughs> right, 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 right. So well, it it happened on its own, which is the most you know wonderful way. It's viral because the song was viral amongst kids, and one one person, one young man. Thank you, young man. A, a Minecrafter, I believe, is his uh, is his um, handle did the original, you know, choreography of, of that particular uh, dance. And then all the other kids and adults copied him. And yeah, there's tutorials how to do it. It's like a cheerleading dance, sort of. And some of them are magnificent. They use like animation. And yeah, so it went crazy on TikTok. But it had been viral on YouTube, especially on Halloween. But the TikTok thing happened at the end of the year. So it was one of the first viral things that happened. But it was just on its own. It was, you know, just uh, organic. So, you know, thank you, world. (laughs) And thank you for magnificent songwriting. I think it shows the cleverness of that song. It has Beatle influence, but it also has his sort of youthful humor, which is why I think it caught on with kids. And the, and the lyrics are really fun. Did he write this for his children? Or what was the impetus for creating this Halloween album? He loved Halloween. He was very young at heart. And yes, he had kids. So he involved his children in it. Absolutely. So it was a children's album. That's what the target was, is for, you know, a fun, fun and scary uh, um, release. Original, because there's plenty of other songs on there that are yeah. in songs that are originals. And even wanted to do an animated special. That's another thing I'm working on. We're trying to do um, something with because the because of the viral sensation. But yes, yeah, so his kids were involved. They sang on the record, mm. uh, and and some of his kids' friends. So he did involve his children. And but he really loved Halloween as well. I'm curious. With that, now are there if if there's any way to tell how many new fans he might have, how many of these kids, this generation that have, that, you know, gotten this dance, you know, this song from this dance that have gone to listen to his other, you know, to any of his catalog. I'm curious if there's any way to track that. It's really hard to track that. I think they have, I mean, you could, you could see comments on YouTube where they'll go, the, the spooky, scary skeleton. He also wrote, thank you for being a friend. So you do see that crossover on YouTube. I think, you know, probably thank you for being a friend is the biggest other song they'll jump to. Yeah. Um, and they probably listen to other songs on Halloween house. Cause that's where it will probably lead them. If they go and listen to the song, uh, I, his profile has lifted because of that. Like I have a lot more followers and fans on like Spotify. So I think they have heard other songs. I mean, that's the hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I assume that, especially now because kids, the way kids are on, uh, you know, social media and they're on the internet, 
the information is so immediately accessible. Like for us, it takes a little bit of work, you know, our generation to find something to dig a little deeper for them. It's nothing. So I assume that, you know, right then and there, they, they've looked. Right. And, you know, like if, if they hear songs like Lonely Boy, they typically fall in love with him. He's such a great musician that his songs are really appealing, you know, when they get heard. Like I'm working with a filmmaker who, whose son knew Spooky Scary Skeletons and she played Lonely Boy for him. And he was like, and now it's like on his playlist. So there you go. That's nice. Until this week, I didn't even realize that he was the singer for Final Frontier, the, uh, the Mad About You theme song. So how did, yes, what's yes. the story behind that? How did he become the singer of that song? Even though Paul he did, is ahead. a really big fan of Andrews. Mm. Um, and I guess they became friends, but he, he huge fan, another super fan. So you know, because of his relationship and because he was a fan, he was asked to sing it. And he, and he when he went in, you, you might've read about this. He had a cold. So he sounds really sexy and hoarse on it, but it came out good because of that. So yes, he did. So that so he did do the theme, and it was also the first song that was played on Mars. So his first—he's the first human voice heard by whatever aliens are on Mars. <laughs> the rover played it. That was up there. So that was kind of a cool thing that happened with that song. Well, this seems like a good time to take a break. So we'll be right back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to What Difference Does It Make? So that was one of the other joyous things. It's just like kind of, I, I, I was present in the room when he wrote songs many times, but hearing it this way was different where you'd hear a beginning track and then you'd hear him lullying or vocalizing the, the melody and then it became a song. And there was one in particular that was pretty magnificent to observe that in, initially was a song written for the Chipmunks. 
um, for Theodore. And it's very, it sounds like a cartoon song. And he's singing, you know, part of the, the lyrics and, and Theodore's in it. And then later on, you hear it becoming this ballad that ended up being a Celine Dion type song. And he vocalizes it that way. And it's just stunning. He had his friend, Greg Prestipino, who did lyrics with him come in at the end and help him write lyrics. And then you hear the finished song. So to hear it go from this chipmunk song to this beautiful ballad is, is just amazing and, and really interesting, I think. came together he wove it it all together i mean you're talking about chipmunks elements and love song elements ended up being the finish in the finished product right so so initially it was going to be one song and then i guess maybe it didn't work out that the the chipmunks project didn't happen at that time so he he went on and made this into a different song yeah wow yeah yeah, and yeah, you know, I heard a lot of different um, songwriting sessions, especially with Graham. You could hear them trying to work out songs, and mm-hmm. they would record it on the Dats, and so that was interesting too. And uh, he finished one with uh, Stephen Bishop, and but it was originally a Graham Andrew song, so that became a totally different song. So, he, so Andrew had the whole melody and the and the music, and then Stephen did the lyrics. So there's all these different stories like that. That's wonderful. Um, where these songs were, you know, in, in process and then became something else at the end. So you, you've touched on a lot about him being like a Beatles freak. Was he a Beatles? We, we can call him a Beatles freak, right? I mean, that's, that was his favorite. Yes. So what was, he got to work with Ringo Starr. Is that, is that correct? He produced an album? Yes. Yeah. So. He worked with him. Uh, he did, he worked with Ringo Starr. He almost worked with, Don Lennon, and he was queued for a project, and then it got canceled. And I was really disappointed, of mm-hmm. course. And then he played with with at live shows with Paul McCartney. So yeah, so he didn't work with George, although he did obviously channel George. You can hear that in the solo on the Linda Ronstadt. You're no good. Yeah, very George and Harrison inspired. Yeah, and he liked. Um, as I was looking through, apparently he, as you mentioned on uh, with the. Uh, with these phone messages, he also formed tribute bands. Uh, I think he had, yes. it said he had like a, a birds tribute band. And uh, what, what else was there? What can you tell me about these, these bands that he, well, he had? Well, he, yeah, bird, the birds were another one of his big influences beside the Beatles. And he just, he told me it's funny once he said, if you aren't a birds fan, I'm going to have to break up with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was Andrew. So he decided to form this birds cover band. Cause there were a lot of Beatles covers bands already. Right. So he did this and it was called birds of a feather. It was in about 2001. Mm. And 
he was meticulous about it. He made them learn the van, learn every single part, absolutely like the birds played it, including the mistakes that were, you know, if there, were, if there was a mistake that had to be in the song. <laughs> and I remember he practiced eight miles high, which is a very fast lead uh, over and over again on the bed. So he wanted to get that right when we were sitting around and yeah, so he played locally and, and, and did it in Los Angeles. I went to every one of those shows. I remember those really, those are fond memories for me. Oh. I did see that Brindle, that uh, the spelling of Brindle was a tribute to the birds with the Y. Oh, is, you know, I did not know that. Oh. Yeah. Okay, there you <laughs> wow. go. I have, <laughs> I'm shocked. I can't believe I would know something you didn't know. Oh, yeah. No, you didn't <laughs> I, I, I'm friends with Wendy, so I'll, I'll talk to her about that. Musicians back then, these bands were huge influences. Bob Dylan, all of them like that. Uh, I was going to ask, go going back, your favorite part in the process, the, the discovery and, you know, getting it out there. I know uh, it's with the labels. <laughs> uh, I love finding the great music and then playing it over and over when I like a song. I mean, I think that that's magnificent. Um, it, getting the songs placed in TV shows or ads is pretty magnificent and through my wonderful partners. So I just think hearing the great music or discovering something I didn't know about him or, you know, getting something done that gets him more well-known. I mean, because it fills my heart with joy because as I said earlier, that that's my goal is to get him more out there and then I sort of feel him in the room because I know he would have loved that That's you know, to, to be more recognized because you know, artists like him that play 15 instruments and are, and are all about music don't want to self-promote you know it's not something they want to do they don't want to do the business mm -hmm. they just want to write songs and perform and play and, you know the, and so I think he would really be thrilled so that so I hearing the music getting it out there Getting it placed, you know, in shows makes me really happy. So speaking of discovery, thank you for being a friend came out in like the in the eighties, like the early eighties. But it, it came off an album from seventy eight, I believe. How was that discovered? Or do you know the story behind how that particular song was placed for the Golden Girls? I know some of it and I've asked people to, you know, um, he was in England at the time. Yes, it was a hit on his original 1978 release that also had Never Let Her Slip Away, which is a huge hit still in Europe. Um, and uh, it had Thank You for Being a Friend and on that album. So it, it was a hit, but not as big of a hit as Lonely Boy. And he was in Europe and he got a call. You need to come home. Your, show, you know, your song is going to be used on this TV show. So he tried to get his, one of his you know, ex-girlfriends at the time to sing it because she was a, a singer named Debbie Pearl. And I guess they already had picked a jingle singer. So uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, how they found the song, you know, the, the actual show. I should probably do some research on that. I'm sure they were considering a number of songs, mm -hmm. but he did get called in England, came back, and it was you know, really cool and exciting. And... Uh, He's always joked about it, that it was his accountant's favorite song <laughs> when he performed it on stage. So, uh, but yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to have happened on a magnificent show that represents so many wonderful things and is still beloved. I mean, I get so many stories from people, you know, young people at every age 
saying, I sang that song to my mother when I graduated, or I sang it to a teacher. So people really have these warm and wonderful memories of that song. Who was his favorite golden girl? Do you know? <laughs> I'm guessing Betty White. <laughs> you think he's more of a rose than a Blanche? But he would have gone for the, the sex crazed one if you know if you asked him. I'm sure he would have gone for the, the one that wanted to have sex all the time because he's a rocker. But uh, today he'd probably say Betty White because you know, he's so magnificent. <laughs> Actually, I thought they were all magnificent, but yeah. Yes, yes, they all. Were. I know he watched Maud too, so. Yeah, yeah, he probably would have liked them all. You're right. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about something new. And I wanted to go on this this cover because it's this redheaded guy who's probably you know musician, always indoors. He's buried in the sand, up the, and it's just his head. And this, right. I mean, how did this come about? This this cover photo. Okay, so those those are Polaroids. The all of the photos on the album are Polaroids from a trip that I found and that I just was in mad love with that photo. It's just magnificent. The look on his face, you know, you could see the, the water behind him. And there were a number of other out, you know, pictures of him buried in the sand like that. And he was with Peter Asher at the time. And we had Mm. Peter do the liner notes. So that also made sense to use those Polaroids because they were on vacation. He was with um, Lorraine Newman, his girlfriend at the time and Peter was with Mackenzie Phillips, and they're pictured on one of the Polaroids in, in the artwork there. But yes, we decided it would be an amazing vinyl cover, you know, just yeah. that image. So, you know, we just decided, Brad and I, that, that, that there was just no other picture that would be better. And we just thought it was cool to use these Polaroids. You know, just sort of, it sort of had a, you know, just a nice vintage feeling, and the one where he's on the floor. And you know, around all of his tapes, yeah. and, it's, and he wrote these little comments on the bottom. It says "decisions, decisions, decisions" under the tapes. <laughs> so I found those when I was going through photos. Very nice. Now he put a note on the Polaroid. Does he do that with uh, with the music, like like these yeah. demos of like this is a good take, or or you know just little things to maybe help guide you as to what to what to use, what what might be well, something to to publish. The, the, the dads had a very organized table of contents. So the, those were that, that the demos were just listed 1973 demos. So that's that, that was the only thing on there. So it, it, where I would see the notes you're talking about is sometimes he would write that in iTunes, mm. you know, it, which would help me like a lot of the unfinished works. He'd be like stingish one. <laughs> so I know it was like sting. So those were the kind of things he'd write on the unfinished songs. Um, but a lot of it, I just had to sort of figure out for myself because they would be labeled like the time period or who he worked with, but he wouldn't necessarily write, or at least this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if only, right? If only, yes, yes. <laughs> Did he work with Peter Asher? I mean, you know, you can't get yeah. more closer to the Beatles than Peter Asher. Um he- they were very close when they were working um, on, on Linda. He talked about how Peter had just become a new producer. So he really relied a lot on Andrew to help because Andrew was so talented. So they sort of were, so it was Peter, Linda, and Andrew a lot doing things together. So they started there. Peter produced the second album with Lonely Boy. Mm. So Peter produced that one. And then Andrew produced the third album. 
but yes, yeah, so Peter produced him oh. and they were friends. Oh, so yes, they worked together a lot. And I have some great footage of them on video when they're both very young and very redheaded. <laughs> so you have plans for this, for this footage you had, the video and film. Yes. Oh, you have, you have plans for it. That was another fun, fun, haha, part of the archival process where I went through Betamax and <laughs> VH. Yeah, I had, I have a beta machine. I had some actual film. The Linda film that I re- referenced earlier was actually filmed, so I had to bring that into a film house to get transferred. But everything else I did here are with editors. And he also had different camcorders over the years. So I had to buy all the different camcorders that fit, you know, the bigger Super 8s and the smaller cassettes. Mm -hmm. And I transferred all of this footage. So now I have it all, you know, together for someone with Bo. And and so I'm in the earliest stages of a hopeful documentary. And uh, this footage, yeah, the vintage footage is magnificent for that. So... Uh, but in working with different filmmakers and we're, the, the, now the big thing is getting funding. Yeah. So I'm working on that. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> I imagine fun, but frustrating, but I, we would be very excited to, to see it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So well, I'll get there. It's, it, it, those are just, you know, the more, the more difficult projects because of that aspect of things. Right. I'm actually more excited about the potential play so we'll see what happens with that. It's, it's kind of like a mother-son story. Mm, like, oh. like a lonely boy type story? Well, yes. It's, it, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the story is lonely boy. Uh, and about it, his mother is very well known on Broadway and has a very interesting story as well. So I think the best way to go about it, and you know, I've discussed people who I'm working with on it, to combine that, to make it into mother-son. Then you have the music of the mother, you know, I, I pre-cleared a song from my fair lady. I could have danced all night. I pre-cleared you're no good. Cause I didn't want people saying to me, Oh, you can't get that music. So I pre-cleared that stuff. And I talked to the King and I people and they were open to medley. So we can get Marnie's music. We can get some of Linda's music and then we have Andrew's music. And it's, I think it's much more interesting than for an audience to have those, you know, the Broadway music and the rock and roll music. That's terrific. So it will be multi-generational. Right. Feel, I mean, yeah. And then we can throw spooky in there. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the young ones. Tying it all right. together. Um, right. One other thing about um, something new. Um, Chuck, Chuck Plotkin was uh, the producer who's done a lot of Springsteen stuff now. And of course, yes. and he also produced yes. Holly 8675309. So, you know, so there's oh, the 80s God. tie-in. Yes, that's on. <laughs> But uh, so what was the relationship there? I mean, he Chuck, I guess, had, hadn't produced yet. What was their relationship like? They were friends. And he also worked with the Brindle people, I believe. He worked with Carla for sure. And I think he worked with Wendy. So he was friends and working with all of them. And then he, he worked at, I believe, Electra Asylum. And so he had a studio and he let Andrew come in and use the studio. So the full tracks were recorded in his studio. So that's where those came from. The demos, you know, it's, it's, he, he did on his own. So he may have gone into Clover Studios to do those too, but he did it on his own rather than with the full band. So Chuck was a friend and he helped him with his first album and his, and the first record deal. And so, and they were, they've been, they were friends their whole life. 
Do you have a favorite Andrew Gold song or era or something that that really moves you? Like you like to to play for <laughs> once in a while. I I have a, a lot of favorite songs, but when the Genevieve was is one of my favorites from from the Electro Asylum years, the Warner Brothers. I really love that song. I like one of them is me a lot. Uh, of course, Lonely Boy. So I used to when I was mad at Andrew when we got into the stu- stupid fights, I would go outside, take a walk, and play Genevieve, and I would not be mad. <laughs> it just it, because it would fill me with joy. So. That, that's a great thing to do. Anyone out there is married to a musician, I suggest doing that when you're mad at them. Go play your favorite song <laughs> on your, your earbuds and you're not mad anymore. Uh, and then I love songs on this particular album. A lot of like Come Down to Me. I like the title track. I like um, The World Tomorrow Brings. I, mean, I really like this album a lot. Um, I like some of the 80s stuff a lot too. I like um, Right Between the Eyes, which is a fun song with Wax. I mean, I could go on and on about oh. songs I like because I hear them so often. But um, and some unreleased songs I really like. There's one called "Amour Du Jour" that I haven't released yet, which is about falling in love all day with different girls, which sort of is very Andrew. <laughs> so I want to release that at some time. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. It sounds like uh, we're going to be hearing Andrew Gold music for a long time to come. So. And seeing more. I'm looking forward to seeing. Yes, no, no. That is a promise. You will. I hope when you're ready, you'll come back and talk to us. (laughs) Okay, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Take care and enjoy. Stay safe. Thank you, Leslie Cogan Gold. Thank you guys so much, too. So thanks so much for joining us. This has been our talk with Leslie Cogan Gold. It's been a blast. (laughs) It has been a blast. It's been so enlightening. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm very thankful that she took the time out to, uh, to talk with us about Andrew Gold and his incredible career. Make sure you check out the new release. It's called Something New, Unreleased Gold from Andrew Gold. It's going to be great. So until <laughs> next week, this is Dave. This is Ollie. Check you later. Over and over. I'm so glad that you are mine. I used to feel like everyone was alone. It seems like everything around me is all changed because everything is new. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. 
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 